Well, good morning, folks. Uh, welcome to Straight and Unfiltered. Gene Panasanka here. Uh, this is the program for entrepreneurs, business owners, executives. We do the best to bring the best talent that advises you folks in various aspects of your business, from legal advisors to CPAs to various types of consultants, helping your business grow and prosper. All right, so we're fortunate uh, today to have uh, Ms. Tiffany Donaldson, who is a founding attorney of Donaldson uh, Legal Counseling PLLC. Uh, the company provides uh, an extensive range of uh, consulting uh, and services uh, regarding the business uh, operations and, uh, and uh, compliance issues as well. So Tiffany, welcome to the program. Glad to have you here. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, thanks for taking time out of your very busy schedule. I know we have been trying to get on this uh, program, you know, for quite some time. And between your business engagements and traveling in spite of pandemics, I mean, here you are, you know, on our channel. Uh, so welcome. And uh, please share with our audience uh, how you got into business, how you decided to become an attorney to begin with. Sure. So um, I originally went to undergrad at the University of Maryland, and I sort of was, you know, like, like other students kind of trying to find my way. And I ended up, you know, taking the LSATs. So after undergrad, I worked in finance for a little bit and it really was not my forte. So I went to law school. And after law school, I, I had various different jobs. I clerked for a judge. Um, was it here I, in New York? No, I, actually that was in Maryland, the DC area. Right. And then I, um, I work for a law firm, but at the law firm that I worked for, we were more on the litigation side. And on the litigation side, it really doesn't matter what the business person's problem was. That problem can't, can no longer be addressed. You're on the other side of the problem. And I was really more interested in helping fix the problems and educate the business owners before they got to the litigation. Because you could Makes see, sense, yeah. you, in every case, you saw the disconnect of what happened to let it get that far and get to a place where the business owner would have preferred not to be. And a lot of times it was education and I really learned a lot. And then I found it was more my passion to work with the business owners, not really on the litigation side, but on the preparation side, which is employment documentation, um, helping them with their trademarks and formation and to really understand the laws that govern their businesses. Well, that's, uh, that's remarkable. I really like the points you made as far as educating uh, your clients and uh, really trying to utilize every possible strategy to mitigate the risk. It's a lot easier, you know, emotionally, financially, you know, cost uh, efficiently to mitigate the risk before it develops into any kind of serious issue. Uh, but that's great indeed. So your background so covers a few states. You mentioned Maryland. I know you also went, uh, was it law school that you went to in Florida? Yes, I went to the University of Miami in Florida for law school. I'm admitted to the bar in Florida. And then I'm originally from the Maryland area. So I'm admitted right. in Maryland. And then I my career took me up to New York. And that's where I really started my my practice was in New York. So I've, I've been in New York since 2016 with my own firm that specializes in helping business owners really prepare, really have their, their documents in order and understand the laws that affect them. This 
Excellent. So unlike many other local practices based in New York only, which is, again, God bless them. I'm sure that they're delivering a lot of value, but you actually operate your practice not only in New York, but also in D.C., Maryland and Florida, right? Yeah. So I have a, a wide range of uh, exposure, but it, what's really interesting is there are clients that I have that are in the D.C. area that also operate in Florida and uh, clients that are in the New York area that have interest in Florida. So they all sort of end up coming together, which is it's helpful to have a little bit of a exposure on of different areas. Very unfortunate trend that, uh, you know, we, we have seen here in New York City specifically, it was the very first one to go through the lockdown and all the events, uh, you know, quote unquote, that uh, the city has been going through, which really resulted in a uh, traumatic, uh, in some very dramatic developments, we've seen countless businesses being shut down. A lot of them, they just figured out, hey, you know, between the the riots, the, the looting, what have you, you know, and, and attacks, unfortunately, ramifications that have been introduced at the city and the state levels, which were pretty hefty taxes to begin with. But now, as far as New York City, it's probably the most expensive place to operate your business. Uh, you know, I, I was on a Zoom call uh, with uh, one of the CEOs of one of the major companies, and, and he's in a retail business, and, and the numbers are just staggering. You're talking about like three and a half million dollars just on January 1 that it takes you just to open the doors of that retail location to operate your business, which is mind-boggling. But again, the fact that you have been operational in the South, you know, from D.C. to Maryland, especially in Florida, uh, those places have been uh, some of the uh, happy recipients, I guess, of the businesses that have been fortunate to still stay alive. But they figured, hey, you know, between taxation and the safety, you know, they, they decided to relocate those businesses down south. So congratulations to you on that. I don't know if you want to expand <laughs> on that to some extent to see, you know, uh, to, to, to speak about some of the clients that are moving down south. Well, I you see it on the news and it's the trend that I've had most of my clients not, not most of them, but a, a different clients are moving. The first trend is just out of the city. And a lot of, a lot of it is because the smallest people could not, they couldn't keep up with the rent. And a lot of times their location they were renting was really driving the rest of their life. They were living near it. Right. Um, they were, they were going to be near it. So um, um, then, you know, with COVID hitting, they want to move to an area where they can afford to just live and operate out of their home. And so they don't have this tie to the city and it's, and, and financially it's a good decision anyways for them because they're small and the city really eats into small businesses. It, I'm involved in groups that try to lobby for small businesses, um, specifically the chambers of commerce, but that's where we it's met originally. So one difficult. of the chambers of yeah. commerce events, and uh, and I mm. liked you know your position in that respect, and, and it's truly unfortunate to see the small guys, the small businesses, which really consume you know six seven days a week, you know for years and decades, if not generations sometimes, and they have been shut down while you know multi gazillion dollar conglomerates, you know being at Walmart or Amazon, they just out there operating, you know, at full capacity. So go figure, you know, between the compliance regulations, uh, where again, it, it takes a fortune just to, you know, to deal with compliance regulations. Unfortunately, they do have experts, you know, in the legal field who, who can help them and navigate those businesses through, you know, intricate, uh, uh, you know, web of those regulations so they can keep operating. But a lot of 
businesses, they just cannot afford that. So it, it's an obvious trend to, to move out of the city, you know, in the suburbs as a minimum. Some of them, they go upstate. New York, though, again, it's still the same state, but at least it's out of the city. And also the schooling, at least, you know, uh, getting the feedback from many of my clients, uh, the schooling is a huge issue. New York City schools, I mean, they've been uh, going through horrible, horrible predicaments where, again, kids for months and months, they could not really attend in-person schooling. Uh, here, you know, at least on Long Island, it, it's a lot more uh, uh, accessible, so to speak. We did not have nearly as strict regulations when it comes down to schooling. Uh, because again, follow the signs, you know, the kids that don't get sick nearly as, as much and as often with COVID as, uh, as the adults. So uh, yeah, all that has been driving a lot of businesses. And, and I guess your clients and prospective clients, they're fortunate to have you as, uh, as a great legal expert in that respect. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I know that you've been focusing, uh, Tiffany, a lot of your attention and a lot of uh, effort has been made in uh, facilitating uh, those businesses, uh, the clients of yours, uh, receiving some uh, some benefits of COVID-19 relief packages. So would you want to talk about that so that we can get our audience more educated about that? Sure. So one of the um, webinars, I actually have a, um, a free slideshow about it on my on my website is, um, as, as most people know, the Paycheck Protection Program has been refunded. So that means two things. And I, I think this is the first message that not everybody has really noticed. And the first thing is, it means that if you never applied for the Paycheck Protection Program, you can now apply, you didn't miss it. And I still have people who I think they don't, they didn't realize that they qualified the first time around and they think they missed it, but the truth is that they did not. Um, so if you haven't applied before, it's back open and it's only, open currently through March 31st, which is actually fast approaching. It's approaching faster than we'd like to realize. Yeah, so yeah. running against the deadline. And just to let you know, it takes a little bit of time to apply because there's a lot of documents you have to get together. And in certain cases, you need a draft of your 2020 tax returns. Now, a lot of people are just starting to think about their 2020 tax return. So not every case is it required, but if you need it, you really need to realize that, get it, you know, get your accountant going, get in line, get your documents um, before you can apply. So I don't, I, you know, I don't want to tell people that they have to have it because you can use 2019 in a lot of cases, but there is sort of, you don't want to apply on March 30th and realize, oh, you don't have your documents together. So right now is really the time if you're interested. They also opened it up for what's called now the second draw. And the second draw is for anybody who already got PPP the first time around and meets certain qualifications. So the only big, the biggest difference between the first time around and this time around is the person borrowing or the company borrowing has to have been down 25% either one of the quarters of 2020 compared to that quarter in 2019 or they'll even look at the whole year. So if the numbers don't work out right, but the whole year compared to the whole year from last year, your gross revenues are down by 25%, then you can qualify for the second draw. So this was not a requirement for the first time around. And so not everyone who got it the first time will qualify. It's really more targeted to those who were hit harder, which 
it's pretty fair um, in, in the goals of the Paycheck Protection Program. And the goal of that program was really to provide money to business owners so that they could use that money to pay their employees and not have to lay them off or reduce their wages. So there are some, gen, generally, if you use the money the quote unquote right way, you can get uh, the Paycheck Protection Program funds completely forgiven. So it's given out as a loan, but as long as you use it the right way, um, the loan can be almost completely forgiven, meaning it doesn't, you don't end up, you know, having to repay any right. of it. Now, if you lay someone off during the time period that's relevant or you severely reduce wages, that can cut into the amount that is forgivable because in a way they're, they're trying to really incentivize the business owners to keep the employees. That's the point of the program. Uh, so there are sort of detriments tied to that. But I always tell people the Paycheck Protection Program is a 1% loan if you have to pay it back. That's not bad. So even if you're in a position where you say, oh, well, I still plan to lay someone off, that doesn't mean it's not for you. It just might be a loan that you need as opposed to forgiveness. So I really encourage people if you, you know, say, hey, I missed it. You never got PPP. You should probably reach out and just see what you're eligible for. In the end, it's, it's sort of equivalent to free money. So you really have nothing holding you back, but there's a timetable. And the timetable is March 31st and fast approaching. So the, the number one thing I can encourage people to do is just reach out to your CPA, to an attorney like me that's uh, focusing in this. And we can let you know if you're, uh, you know, a, a qualified and then you just have to get the documents together. It's not that hard, but if you're, you know, we're here to help you. I mean, those are definitely um, very positive developments for many business owners. On my end, I can just... Uh say, you know, I, I, I've heard some success stories where the people were provided with those loans and for them it was like a lifeline thrown to them because that was the only way that they could stay afloat operating their businesses after, you know, seeing devastating decline in, in revenues and in some cases where they had to lay off, um, you know, staff. Uh, but on the flip side, I've heard some disastrous stories where they would say, hey, you know, I've been working with my CPA, I've been working with my consultant, you know, uh, and I submitted piles and piles of documentation, tax returns, and it's dragged, you know, for weeks, if not months. Uh, and the end result was nothing, you know, because they came with some whatever reasons to decline the loan. You know, I'm running a clean business, you know, everything is documented and still, uh, again, those may be isolated incidents, but I mean, I, I know that they've been taking place across the country, at least based on what I've heard and seeing. So in your experience, uh, Tiffany, of working with those companies and uh, who, who are applying and hopefully some of them that were given the, the PPP loans, in your experience, what is the percentage or, you know, uh, you know, the, the rate that the people were uh, declined at, you would say, or not provided with the loans because of whatever kind of reasons? Well, when it comes, so there's, there's two loans out there. So we talked about the PPP, which is Paycheck Protection Program, uh, loan program. And the other is EIDL, which is Economic Injury Disaster Loan. Right, right. Um, with the PPP, from the people that I've worked with, right. um, it's, it's a very, very high uh, success rate of getting the loan. Right. It's, it's almost going, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of uh, follow-up if they have questions or something. 
Um, some of the reasons that people could be declined and if they kind of filed without consulting anybody, I could see this happening for PPP, is there's really strict regulations on history of loan repayment with the SBA. Right. So, so, so if you had some kind of negative history of loan repayment, that could have knocked you out and you're probably pretty upset about it. But if you had known going in, you weren't qualified, it's not necessarily, you know, it's, it's more about education than that, that they had an issue. But with EIDL, which is the Economic Injury Disaster Loan, so I'll talk a little bit about that real quick. This is a 3.75% loan that you can get from the SBA if you qualify as showing that an economic injury occurred to your business from COVID. So the way to qualify is to, is to show some like at least probably 20 to 25% decrease in your gross revenue, some kind of other, you know, impact to your business that was caused by the lockdowns, by government authority or uh, general illness from COVID. And the S when you apply, the SBA decides what they want to offer you as a loan. So it's different by company and it really, they really look at your numbers and they look at a lot of paperwork. And I think when I hear those instances like you're talking about, it's more likely that that was related to an EIDL loan that they're having trouble with. I know people who say they've submitted everything perfectly. I'm working with a couple. Um, and then the SBA has some questions or you didn't sign in the right color ink, if you can believe that. I mean, it's wild. And, I, and so I have seen the difficulty with the back and forth with the SBA. But the number one thing that an advisor or someone like me can help you with is really a diligence. And it's really just persistence and making sure you're giving them back what they're asking for, that things are filled out the right way, because it, it's complicated. It's not, I don't want to discourage people from doing it, but you might want to seek an advisor to help you with it. Because it, I have seen that it is quite frustrating to do on your own. But that doesn't mean you should miss out on it. And the EIDL program was refunded as well. So what does that mean? There's a lot of opportunity to secure the EIDL loan as long as you're qualified for it. But there's a lot of demand. And so really just getting your application in is step one. And you just have to realize how many people are demanding their EIDL from SBA right now. You're in a very long line. And so it isn't quick. It doesn't happen overnight. PPP money comes through much faster, but it's definitely worth it. I've seen people get very large loans, you know, much needed low interest rate loans that are really going to help them. And, um, you know, I've seen it go quite smoothly for some people. Uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't let you know, the hype uh, discourage somebody. I would say it's really worth the effort um, if you're in the position to need that loan. And it's not going to last forever. Something's going to happen. There's going to be a level of, of um, you know, the vaccine out there where, where things are getting more back to normal. And eventually these, these programs are going to go away. And so it's, it's really not something to wait on, I guess, is the but number good one message. things never last forever. <laughs> we both know that. Yeah, we can yeah. attest to that. Yeah. Um, as a financial advisor for, you know, doing this for over the last 25 years, I'm involved directly into wealth management, risk management, retirement planning for my clients. Funding, lending is definitely not something that I'm uh, 
uh, I'm involved in. Uh, but uh, the reason I ask you about some complexities, you know, and some uh, uh, negative uh, stories about applying, uh, you know, and, and being declined for for the PPP loans, I'll give you just one example. And I've heard it from at least you know three, four uh, business owners. So it's a small business, nothing fancy, you know. Say it's a cafe, you know, which is grossing say you know quarter million dollars in annual revenue. Well, uh, out of that quarter million dollars, the business owner would have to pay the rent, which is staggering, you know, especially if you're in Manhattan or even Brooklyn, you know, the stuff. Uh, and then the payroll and insurance and whatever. So at the end of the year, they will net less than $10,000 in actual revenue because the, the bulk of the revenue goes to pay the bills. All right. And uh, the explanation that they were given, again, I don't know if you have an answer to that or you can comment at least on that. Stephanie, the, 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 the response were, they, they were given after the loans were declined. The reason was, hey, you know, you need to have a minimum of $10,000 in net income after you deduct all the expenses. So again, the, the, the owner is, is really slaving six, seven days a week, you know, making uh, that, that business operate. And then the lockdown starts. And again, obviously there is no traffic. They cannot run the business. Uh, when he or she produces the tax returns for the business, again, out of quarter million dollars in this example, which is, you know, by the way, one of the uh, concrete specific cases I was told about, you know, the net income actually is less than $10,000. So they applied and they were told, hey, you know, for as long as you're below $10,000, you don't qualify. So we, we can't offer you anything. And it's devastating, obviously, to those business owners. Yeah. And in, in all honesty, I have not heard anyone being declined for that purpose. I have heard... Like for instance, if you're uh, a new business and you um, didn't have a lot of income and you're solo, let's say you don't have any employees, what what they the calculation is based on your um, payroll for 2019 generally. So some of these companies. Um, if you pay yourself, if you're solo and you pay yourself, but you spent all your, everything you made, you know, on the company. So you really came out at zero. Right. Unfortunately, if you're in that instance, um, you can't go down from zero basically. So right. they're saying, well, you, your revenue can't go down. <laughs> you were already at zero. The, the 10,000 or under might be hitting on that same concept. Um, but for the type of business that has a payroll account, that still doesn't seem right to me because the, the, the formula about what you can borrow is based off of how much you paid out in payroll. So it's not based on what you netted. So I mean, that might be the type of person that well, you might want to have reach out and we could look again to see, right. um, follow up with that. Cause I, I honestly haven't, that, that one seems a bit fishy to me. Well, and it also can be bank based. So each bank, it can be a little bit different. It, I've seen banks that aren't explicitly f kind of making things clear to their clients, especially about the seasonal employer. If you're a seasonal employer, you can get a little bit more PPP by doing a, a certain type of application. And I've seen banks just not mention it. And the reason I know about it is because I read the law, but how would someone else know about it? So even you want to rely on your bank, the bank that you're going to, but they're sort of doing things to be efficient. They're not doing it to help you get the most that you're entitled to. And so it's another reason why you need somebody 
very explicitly looking out for you, but that, that person, I mean, you could refer them over. We could look at what they're doing because that does sound fishy to me, that one. But yeah, well, yeah, in his yeah. case, in his case, as I mentioned, it's a it's a small cafe. I mean, he really has been running it by himself, mm. uh, so no really full time staff. And because again, the bulk of the revenue out of that example, mm. you know, quarter million dollars has been going to pay the rent, you know, insurance, whatever expenses related to running and operating the business. Mm-hmm. You know, he has been taking you know nominal um, nominal salary, um, you know, less than whatever. Yeah, that that's probably the case. So it, and this, he that's says, one hey, more thing, yeah. You know, if if people have contractors, and contractors are people that get 1099s, right. they aren't counted as payroll for this. I mean, they they're the not getting paid of, yeah, as an employee. Client. They're a contractor, and so that that might come into play, like with that scenario. And it's it's very true. If there are specific scenarios where you're just not hitting on the qualifications, unfortunately. Unfortunately, because again, in his case, and I'm sure that we have countless, countless number of businesses operated by men and women across the country, especially in the states which have been hit the hardest, you know, with a with a pandemic, with the lockdowns and all the consequent events that followed them uh, as a result of, and and again, in his example, he has been basically starving himself, trying to make the business going, uh, taking nominal salary. And just because of that fact that his salary, his paycheck per se is below $10,000, he does not really qualify for that. Yeah, that which again, makes no only, sense because he has been working mm-hmm. not less, but even more substantially more than some more sizable company, some, some more sizable business. Uh, very unfortunate, but uh, again, uh, thank God the, the people who qualify, they do have somebody of your level of an expertise who can really help them, you know, from the scratch, you know, filing the paperwork and educating them how to navigate through the whole uh, maze of, of the system so that at the end of the day, they can hopefully get some funding and get the business going, which benefits not only them, but it benefits the whole country. You know, we have businesses, we have jobs, we have tax revenue, and uh and life is so much more fun as opposed to, you know, having unemployed, you know, millions or tens of millions of unemployed people and, and crime and, and everything else that, that, you know, it's kind of like kind cascading, of like, like a domino effect. Yeah. I know. Uh, very unfortunate. Uh, but uh, yeah, without going to names, uh, we were always trying to protect the identity of our, um, of our uh, clients. But I mean, do, do, do you want to share, not necessarily about the pandemic times, but, you know, some cases where you could really, educate the clients, uh, help them, uh, you know, mitigate the risk before the, the problem would really develop and how, you know, um, successfully it would uh, actually, you know, become over the long term, you know, resulting in a company actually evolving into higher uh, levels, uh, you know, developing business, hiring more employees. I mean, just a couple of examples, uh, generally speaking. Oh, uh, sure. The value, you know, that, that you bring to the businesses. Sure. So one of the things I really like to focus in and is, is sort of what I'm trying to make my main focus is employment documentation and following all the employment rules right. in New York state and city. So the city has even more than the state, but right. in New York, um, the rules are different also by county. So if you're outside the city and in another county, there are other rules that might apply. And sometimes they're completely counter (laughs) to what the city rules are. Um, But what I like to do is I help clients um, that are going to hire. So they haven't hired before, or maybe they moved into New York. So they haven't hired in New York before. 
um, there's very specific notifications that you have to give employees upon hiring in the city and the state of New York. So one of the things that you can do as an employer is if you, if you don't do this upfront, you can always do it later, but you, you're, it's always just sort of trying to make up for it. It's, it's really something you were supposed to do at a very specific time. So getting in front of an employer, uh, a potential employer right before they're going to hire is really um, an ideal type of client for me because we can help them. Well, one instance, for instance, is you can categorize somebody like we were talking about 1099. Are right. they going to be a contractor? Are they going to be an employee? Well, there's really big consequences to categorizing somebody the wrong way, meaning you just want to pay them as a 1099. But based on New York and IRS laws, they really fit the profile of a um, employee. So what can happen, and I've, I've had multiple instances of very small clients have this happen where later New York state comes after them and they say, oh, well, you weren't you know, withholding correctly because this person that you have saying is a 1099 is really your employee. employee as opposed to yeah. being a contractor. Yeah, and, and it's really interesting because the this very small employer will say, why did they pick me? You know, how in the world did I get singled out? And the truth is, I don't know. I don't know if it's random, somebody complained or, or how they got onto that one person. Um, but at that point, large fines can ensue. And generally, you don't just want to pay them. You want to reach out to somebody like me to at least attempt to help you mitigate them. Um, and, and so I've been involved with trying to mitigate those circumstances. But if you catch them up front and you qualify, get them the right way, or there's, there's documentation. If you want to have contractors, there's documentation. You can do the correct way to ensure that they, everyone thinks they're a contractor. Um, that's, that's a major, like just one instance of a major issue where what we're doing is we're doing something up front and we're preventing that problem that the other person had. Uh, I don't know if clients can appreciate it because they never see the problem later <laughs> to know what, that, what we saved them from. Yeah. By just yeah. you sharing with yeah. me and our viewers this great example, uh, it just shows that, hey, you know, you do need to invest some time and effort and a bit of money but guess what? It will save you, mission, miss owner, you know, a lot of time, effort, and monetarily, as you said, hey, you know, those fines, they can, they can escalate to some, some sizable um, amounts. And again, this is not something that any business owner is looking for, for any kind of additional expenses, you know, especially in fines. But sometimes, I mean, the levels, they're just staggering. Um, and, and I've seen cases where it can really, you know, break the business, like the, the last proverbial straw that breaks your business in addition to, you know, the whole bunch of other issues that they already have been dealing with that had escalated to the level which became almost unmanageable at, at that point. So yeah, it does really make time, uh, make sense to, you know, take that time and sit down with somebody uh, of your level of expertise and really, you know, get educated about, you know, the, the potential ramifications of, uh, you know, of what may happen if those steps are not being implemented uh, you know, to begin with. Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And another thing that I help um, clients with often, and, and it, what is really, it's something most people have to think about when they're going into business is the operating agreement or the bylaws, which 
dictate the relationship of the owners. So generally in small businesses, you have got maybe one to five owners of the business in total, and they're working together. Um, they all sort of have obligations to each other. And, you know, everyone's sort of wondering, well, is, you know, is Joe going to live up to what he's saying he's going to do for the business if I'm putting my heart and soul into it. And the way these relationships are governed is the operating agreement. And I always tell clients the operating agreement is the easy part. The hard part is the answers to the questions I have to ask you before we draft it. And I mean, I get clients that sit there and they say, oh, we got to have a big group meeting about this question. I'm like, but this is the time to have it. There's sometimes tough conversations. There's sometimes things might bring up something you didn't want to address yet. But the point is to have it out before you're having it out in court. And so that's another really proactive. um, I really enjoy it because what I like about it is you can see that you're helping these people because you they're addressing things they were kind of pushing under the rug and they're getting it out in the open. So, you know, it's going to help them later clarify what exactly is going on here. So I really enjoy uh, helping businesses with that as well. I can't agree with you more because, again, we address the same issue from different positions, yourself from the legal standpoint, myself from the financial and the risk management standpoint. You do risk management as well, just in a different uh, manner, utilizing different instruments. Uh, but but you, you gave a perfect example, you know, with which I had to be dealing with pretty much every time when I sit down with a new uh, business client and, and, you know, besides many other things on the list is, hey, you know, buy sell agreement do you have it in place oh no we're best friends we love each other oh, right. but that, that's exactly <laughs> that's, that's the how, problem <laughs> that's what the biggest problem will develop uh you yeah. know and, and without the buy sell agreement that again will be drafted by the legal advisor like yourself uh but, but most of those buy sell agreements hey you know your partner gets hit by the truck i wish you guys and ladies you live to be 120 years old but what happens if one of you is gone prematurely, and then the next day, instead of grieving, because that's what the family is supposed to do, grieve, you know, when somebody's gone, they're <laughs> going to be banging on your door asking for 50% of your business. And just because you were uh, not careful enough, you know, to, or not willing enough to sit down with somebody like like yourself, Tiffany, you know, to, to have, you know, information that you, 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 you'll find to be critical for operating a business going forward and how to address those kind of circumstances. Uh, you know, it's going to be devastating, you know, and I've seen defaults, uh, you know, demises of so many businesses as, as a result of that. So buy-sell agreements is just one of so many things that somebody like yourself can address, can draft, can implement. Most of the buy-sell agreements, they are backed by the financial instruments that on my end, as a financial advisor, I'll be glad to sit down and educate the clients. So again, working as a team, as truly holistic advisors, you know, again, this is the, the, the term that has been used forever, you know, beaten to death, but uh, not every advisor actually does implement, you know, uh, those fundamentally uh, critically important issues uh, in their practices. So, yeah, that, that's great to hear that that's what you've been doing on your end. Yeah, and, and that really underscores, like you said, the importance of, of working with an advisor that's looking out for you in all directions, because a lot of times, the client might not know what to ask, but if the advisor knows, well, you know, you're operating a business with employees and you don't have a handbook, just these little things can, that, that tips the client off to the next step, 
you know, it's not the advisor's forte, but at least the client knows that they need to look into that next step. That's how, that's how a lot of the clients get there because they didn't really realize they needed it. But when they hear it from someone else, then (laughs) their wheels start turning and they take it a little more seriously. I find when I get referrals from uh, other advisors, because the client understands like, look, this whole community thinks I need this. We're not just trying right. to sell you something. We're trying, we're trying to encourage you to protect yourself. And I think that, you know, the, that really reflects on, on the advisor because you can see that you care about all aspects of the client's um, really well-being. So. You know, well said. I, I like saying pretty much at every meeting with every, you know, new existing or prospective client, Hey, you know, I, I love you. You have my ultimate respect and admiration for just having, you know, the, the, the guts, you know, to really sit down and speak about those kind of issues, uh, you know, and I will do my best uh, on my end. And, uh, you know, in uh, conjunction with legal and tax advisors that I'm working with very closely to bring the best level of advice and expertise to help you, you know, protect and grow your business. But ultimately, as hopefully you can imagine, my life is not going to be fundamentally different regardless. You stay or you don't stay in business, but your life can and probably will be fundamentally different if you don't implement, you know, the things that myself, your legal and tax advisors have been trying to get you implemented in your business practice, you know, to not just become more successful, but just staying alive, you know, keeping going to begin with. Right. And avoiding, avoiting trouble. And I think, it's, yeah, the pitfalls. Yeah. For, for employers, because you'd be shocked. You'd be shocked what people are doing out there. <laughs> and um, the reason that I encourage them to put, you know, put a little love toward their business and see a legal advisor is because the only thing that we're here to do is to protect your hard-earned money from potential lawsuits, you know, whether deserved or not. There's so much risk out there. Um, we really are here to, to, help you, to help you protect your money. And so seeing us, it might be a small cost in, in the long run. It could save your entire business. Uh, That's from the a cost problem, of doing so. business because unfortunately yeah. a lot of business owners, they can be geniuses when it comes down to whatever line of business they're in. You know, I mean, they operate cafe, they, they, they run a gym and some of them, they're very accomplished people, very successful. But I mean, a lot of them, they're not seeing the forest because they're so focused on little things. And that's where, you know, an advisor, either legal advisor, financial advisor, uh, a, a CPA, you know, they bring their skills to really educate them, not only from the personal standpoint, but also through the prism of working and dealing with, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of other clients that we already have been working with and advising, uh, you know, for many, many years in the past. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And the way I think about it is you're working so hard. You, you're literally working for other people if you end up giving away that money through some crazy lawsuit that you could have prevented. And that's the hardest part is that you could have prevented it and, you know, you didn't you didn't take the necessary steps to kind of get the basics in order. Yeah, the fraction of a cost that ultimately you end up paying. And yeah, it's very unfortunate. It's all over the news. It's in real life. We have seen countless number of people that went through that uh, predicament. Um, And again, it's it's just a shame that being so talented, you know, and dedicated to their business, they really neglected certain aspects, legal aspects, financial aspects, you know, tax ramifications of, of, of certain actions 
that uh, ultimately led to the demise of their business, which is really very unfortunate for them, their families, and everybody else who cared about that. And the employees, if they had employees, I mean, those people that they let go, obviously. Um, nobody benefits from that. Yeah, yeah and, the, and we talk about being approachable because um, it's, the, it's the approachability. Sometimes I think, um, especially people, people out there have been operating for a long time they're doing well. I don't, the money is not always a reason that they're not reaching out. I think it's just pure fear <laughs> sometimes um, of the legal aspect. And, um, you know, maybe they don't feel like that they, they know somebody that's approachable. They feel like maybe they're going to get judged for, you know, how they've been running things. And it's quite the opposite. You know, we're not, if, if you need help, hey, you're, you're the one we're here for. We're literally, you know, in business to support you. And there's absolutely no way as a business owner, you can know all of the employment laws, all the rules your business has to follow, because that's not what you studied. That's not what you try to keep up on every day. You're keeping up on your business. And it's literally a job to keep up on this stuff. That's our job. And it's a lot of work. And so we're here, like you said, it creates a team environment where you can rely on somebody else to know they're keeping you up date on, you know, the laws that change in 2020, which were multiple um, if you do if you do business in New York. So it's regulations that just keep evolving, you know, getting more right. and more and more complex. It's, I, I cannot imagine any right. any business owner, regardless of their background, regardless of their IQ level. Who right. can master it by himself because otherwise he or she would have to really give up on the business right. and plunge into the legal field. You That's know, right. again, you know, it took year, years yeah. of college, you know, legal school. By the way, mm. cum laude, I guess that is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you have to show you cum laude, you know, uh, for the legal uh, degree that you have. So, plus again, uh, years and years and years of being really on the front lines and representing those clients and advising them to the best of your abilities. So, um, well, Tiffany, I, I think we had a great, very constructive conversation. I do hope uh, our audience found it helpful. So as usually, I'm requesting, I'm asking our listeners and viewers to please hit like, subscribe. All that helps us, you know, get more traction with YouTube so that more people can get it in the search engines when they're looking for legal advice. Uh, before, we, before we wrap it up, Tiffany, I would like, we're going to post all the information at the bottom of the screen. Uh, after the uh, at the end of the interview, but please, you know, I, I would like the audience to hear from you the name of your website, the the contact information as far as your phone number, the email, uh, and this way they can get in touch with you if they're looking for uh, to get just a second opinion. Because a lot of times they can say, hey, you know, I have certain things in place, I don't care. I'm always urging, you know, get a second opinion, including financial advisory second opinion. I know that I'm I'm very good. I know that I'm bringing to my clients probably one of the most diversified. Um, you know, uh, uh, value propositions out there. But at the same time, I'm very open. I'm saying, hey, you know, feel free to get a second opinion and see if somebody can offer you something more constructive, some, something more helpful. So please uh, mention to our audience your uh, contact information, Tiffany. Sure. So my firm's called Donaldson Legal Counseling. Uh, the number is 301-332-2354. And our website is uh, attorneylawny.com. And um, feel free to call us, visit the website. You can um, message us through the website. We do free consultations. And we, we generally advise people in the New York area regarding anything related to business law, 
employment and uh, we also do trademarks and anything regarding PPP or EIDL applications while they're available. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, Tiffany, again, thank you so much for getting on, uh, on this segment. Really invaluable, you know, uh, advice, wealth of helpful, very helpful information, you know, between PPE, you know, uh, PPP loans and EIDLs, and again, specific uh, business practices you've been um, implementing so successfully. Uh, and to our audience, thank you so much as usually for tuning in. Uh, hope you enjoy the show and hope to see you very soon at the next episode. All right. Thanks very much and uh, best wishes. <laughs>